Hello, everyone. We have a very special edition of the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. Uh, I'm your co-host, Dominic Vogel. Joining me, as always, is Christian, uh, my co-host, Christian Redshaw. Now, normally, I would ask Christian who our guest is, uh, but I'm gonna, I am gonna let him say who it is. But I'm gonna say that this is a special crossover episode. Uh, <laughs> Christian, who are who are our special guests today? Well, I certainly don't want to steal your thunder, so we have Brian and Dutch, and I'll let you fill in the blanks there because you've given <laughs> us a pregnant pause. Well, yeah, <laughs> uh, Brian Hoagley uh, uh, from uh, Side Channel and uh, Schwartz from uh, uh, Amazon, uh, two amazing, amazing individuals. Uh, I've been fortunate to be on, on Brian's podcast. Um, I think it's going to be a really, really fun conversation. So we'll take a pause here, uh, let the boys in, and then we'll uh, stay tuned for a really awesome conversation. Well, everyone, we have a special, special show for us today. Uh, the Rat Pack or the InfoSec Rat Pack is rejoining for one night only. And joining Christian and I today is uh, Brian Hoagley and also the infamous uh, Dutch Schwartz, as well as CyberPig, my good friend. So we, surprise I know we have a guess. ton of ton, surprise guests. We have a ton of conversations. That's an inside joke. If you don't know what that rubber pig is about, do check out uh, uh, Brian's podcast. That will explain everything. Um, but there's a huge backstory to this this is the crossover episode i'm talking really fast because i'm really excited so i'm gonna pass it to christian to kick uh, uh to start things here with our first question okay guys so thanks so much for joining us i just want to set the tone and say we want to know what you really think today so don't hold back out of the gate uh i kind of want to build on a, a logical sequence here uh i want to start to talk about okay our, our show is called Cybersecurity matters so okay why does it matter well uh, you're protecting something and you're protecting it from someone or events happening so i want to talk about the importance of an asset inventory because you can't protect what you don't have what are your Sorry, you can't protect what you don't know that you have. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, Brian, you want to go Hallmark, uh, Hallmark moment, right? That's critical security control number one. I think it always has been. I think since they started that. Yeah, it's uh, can't defend what you don't know exists. That was the that was kind of the DOD saying. Um, I, I, it still shocks me that larger organizations don't do it. Uh, it doesn't surprise me that smaller organizations don't. But the second you start explaining the importance of getting that asset inventory, I think it, the effects go beyond uh, security and cyber risk reduction, which is nice. You know, now you've got a CTO that actually understands his entire, you know, asset inventory and can better manage it. You can help your developers start figuring out, you know, the products that they're, you know, the software that they're introducing is rolling up to. So it's. It's a, it's almost like a baseline IT need, but its importance to cybersecurity is obviously very, very critical because you can't start doing anything else that you really need to until you have that baseline established. Yeah, and so just to add to what Brian said, uh, and it's the first step of all frameworks, right? I mean, so just, just to be clear. And so you have to start there, and I think so just to add some color then, the challenge is, it, depending on the size of your organization, you may not have control over the assets, right? Depending on how your organization is structured. So that's an, a nuance that is an unenviable task for the security team sometimes is you don't actually control the assets. You don't even disperse the assets, but then in some fact, uh, you have to rely on that. So it's really critical to team up there, 
right? So you have to have a tight partnership with the uh, the technology team, and there has to be an awareness that hey, like we can only we can only do this effectively if we have really good uh, workflow and control measures and an understanding of what we have in, in place, or else we can't help enable anything if we don't know that. Building from there, there's some unsavory characters out there that are trying to get a hold of our sensitive information. As a small and mid-sized business leader, uh, they're not necessarily targeting your organization specifically. They're not saying, okay, we wouldn't necessarily want to go after those guys 99.9% of the time, let's say. Uh, can you guys talk about, from your perspective, the, the methods of cyber criminals? How do they go about their operations and conduct their cyber attacks? Just at a, at a really a basic level, if you could. Hmm. Um, I'll, I'll take this it. first. Dutch, go ahead. Go ahead, Dutch. Yeah, no, I'm just going to say, I think that you're making a really important distinction, Christian, and that's that if you're not in security, you may have a perception that, oh, well, why would you target me? I'm a veterinarian and, you know, in my, in my, in my town. And that's not how that works, right? Cyber criminals are frankly better at collaborating than we are. As a general statement, they collaborate sooner. They use automation more effectively, more widespread than we do uh, in a defensive posture. And so it's not targeting you know, you specifically. It's because they've created software, which is targeting anything that they can find. And so you have to kind of help reframe that with small and medium-sized business owners that, that they are still at risk because it's not – you know, uh, it's not like war games. It's not some kids, you know, teenager drinking Diet Mountain Dew in their parents' basement. It is a piece of software. It's it's unemotional. It doesn't care. It's just looking for data that it can then use or resell to somebody else. Yeah, there's a, there's a I'm going to disagree a little bit on the percentage of not being targeted because um, I just did a discussion yesterday on larger organizations are targeted because of their size and their importance. And the reality is, is that it's going through the subcontractors, the third parties, the small businesses, those vendors, that's allowing criminals to get into their true target. So you might not be targeted because you are the veterinary, you know, to take Dutch's example, the veterinarian in a small town, but for whatever reason, you had a contract into a large medical, uh, uh, you know, research facility, and that was the true target. The criminals might be targeting you merely to piggyback to get in. So there's one aspect of an attack venue that I think goes um, without a lot of discussion because it's probably less. I'm not saying it's predominant amount, but that is a means and a, and a, and a way. The other piece is to Dutch's point is it's commodity threats. And it's like looking at the Internet as if it's an entire bad neighborhood. I use this analogy a lot because people can understand physical violence and physical restrictions. If I set up a grocery store or convenience store in a bad neighborhood or a perceived bad neighborhood, I'm going to do certain things about that because I know I'm in a bad neighborhood. If there's a drive-by, right? And innocent bystanders, unfortunately, get shot, although they were not the target, okay? It still doesn't mean that because they weren't the target that they didn't get shot and get hurt and have to go to the hospital. The internet acts a lot in the same way, that it's a lot of spray and pray kind of mentality. It's a lot of software trying to find the right or just vulnerable opportunistic crimes to take advantage of. And that's what's impacting small businesses that were sitting there five years ago and going, I'm not a target. I've never was a target. I don't know why I'm, you know, I should worry about this too. Oh, wow. I've been ransomware. I can't pay the ransom. Now I'm stuck right now. That's why they're in that spot. It's because they've never thought about themselves having be victim of a crime of just pure opportunity. Hmm. 
Yeah, really, really great, great insight there, Jensen. Um, before asking my question, I do want to point out that I, I think the last time I actually shaved was maybe the last time we appeared on Brian's show because it has been a while. That was so before that. I was just pop. Yeah, pondering <laughs> <laughs> that. But um, uh, first thing I wanted to, to get your take on, um, I think it was earlier this week or, or late last week, um, or maybe, maybe a couple weeks ago now, I think about, but when the Colonial uh, Pipeline CEO, how he mentioned that they paid the ransom in the, for the best interest of the nation. Um, I heard that statement and I thought, well, that's a stupid thing to say. And I've heard a lot of stupid things. Um, and I thought, well, if paying the ransom was so important, take a step back. Why wasn't investing in cybersecurity at Colonial Pipeline in the best interest of the nation? I'm curious to your thoughts and the immediate reactions to to what he said. I'd like to start with Dutch, then we'll go over to Brian. Yeah, so this is sort of, I'm going to try to use an analogy too, because I'm trying to sort of back away from the, the emotionality and the heat of the moment, right? So so, so just, it, we're coming back to fundamental human nature thing. So I'll just use a personal example, right? So I was in the National Guard. I lived in Illinois. Mississippi runs through that. Um, guess what? The Mississippi River floods. I can't tell you exactly when it's going to flood on which day, but it floods. But I found that we were not filling sandbags when the weather was nice. We were filling sandbags when it was flooding. And so there, you have to be pragmatic that, you know, that if it's if it's not something that's a care about for you, either because of your role or because of your business or you're not aware, then people don't unfortunately don't really take it seriously until it's too late. Right. And so the best thing that we can do kind of as a community is say this wasn't even really attacked. This was just. To, to Brian's commentary, a crime of opportunity. It, it was just bound to happen because there's just not enough awareness and then a risk posture that would mitigate that when it does happen. So that's my, my kind of front end take of, of how we could do this differently. I honestly think that the CEO's message was a pure PR crafted stunt. And, and here's, and I, and I had this, I had this discussion with somebody else about this too, because they're like, wow, they're, you know, if they had invested in security as much as they'd done PR, they probably would have been in a good spot. Well, the reality is that Colonial, within the last six months, was the uh, proponent of one of the largest land-based oil spills in the United States. So they were just and have been digging out, no pun intended, from a other PR nightmare where their that machine that they created around that messaging, the ability to message, was in high high gear. And now fast forward to they're still coming out of that, right? And this happens. Well, you know, it's muscle memory, right? So now that they've got that trained and they've already got the capabilities in because they've just done technically incident response. It was an oil spill, but it was, you know, it's a ransomware. Now comes the PR uh, around the CEO's messaging. I would have believed what he had said if he had said it a week and a half earlier when all of this news broke that, oh, we're going to do everything we can for the good of the nation. He didn't do it. He didn't say that until after they had paid. And I think there was even an issue with their ability to pay Darkseid and the timing around that because Darkseid's uh, infrastructure had been either taken down or captured by, we still don't know who, but uh, I just find his, his words not genuine um, and the thing that you're going to expect a CEO in that type of a situation to say. So I think the 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 flying the uh, the national uh, component was um, short. I don't I don't know how else to say it except that I just don't agree with it. I think it was uh, it was a poor move in bad taste because I don't think it's authentic. 
Yeah, yeah, no, and, and uh, I appreciate that insight uh, of both you. And uh, this next one I'm going to ask purposely because I know it's a trigger for Brian, so I'm really looking forward to, to your answer on this, Brian, uh, it, it, it is the insurance industry and the missteps that they have made uh, during the whole rise of cyber insurance, which has arguably fueled the rise of ransomware. Uh, now you're seeing uh, insurance industry, uh, uh, big insurance groups walk away from doing cyber insurance and then getting hit by uh, by ransomware themselves. Um, walk me through the mess that is right uh, that is right now in, in the insurance industry around cyber insurance. We're going to have to do like a part four of this show to be able to get the whole thing. But honestly, you know, the way that I look at it is, you know, I think people look at insurance as trying to do the right thing and be the right people. And, you know, it's your agent showing up to you, holding you in their arms when your house is burning down, telling you we're going to take care of you. And the reality is, yes, that happens, but they are a business. So there's a bottom line. So if the premiums, the money that they're getting and the profit that they're getting out of the premiums on a policy or a policy set or an entire book of business starts going down, they're going to change trajectory, which is why you start seeing carriers walking away from building out cyber books. And you start seeing folks, um, you know, I've, I've had a discussion with somebody who their kidnap and ransom book, which is under a specialty type of a policy set is getting bombarded and destroyed because of ransomware. It's because companies are putting their claims up through that. Well, if you've got cyber insurance, why is that happening? It's like, well, it's because you're not thinking, I don't think they're thinking it all the way through. Um, is insurance responsible for the rise of ransomware? I don't actually know that. I don't think that either. Um, that's like saying that, you know, um, you know, commercial and, and homeowners insurance is responsible for people burning their houses down. Yes, it happens, but it doesn't happen enough where it's a lucrative business for criminals, right? Otherwise, you'd see multi-million dollar mansions burning down left and right and people walking away with a check. Um, ransomware's on the rise because it's easy. It's an easy target. There's an obvious lack of, um, uh, of controls. And the ability to funnel money um, from victims is now anonymized through cryptocurrencies, and it's incredibly easy. Um, I think insurance carriers are, are, are a bit at fault because they're, and they, I've had a couple of them even say that they don't agree with it, but they're, this happens. They are being targeted for their customer lists so that they know, and the criminals now know who to go target because they have now a list of who can pay or are willing to pay up to what. I mean, that's one thing that, you know, if I'm an attacker and I'm breaking into an organization, the first thing I'm going to look for is your insurance policy. What are you willing or going to be covered to pay me? Well, I'm going to ask you for that. It's like, I already know you're, I have leverage on you from a negotiation standpoint. I hold all the cards. So all of those things are going on. Plus just, there's a whole, there's a whole talk track around, you know, how impactful or important is insurance itself? Are they even asking the right questions? I don't think most of them are. Um, most are just rebranding the Hiscox application from 10 years ago and hoping for the best. There's a lot wrong with that, with the insurance industry. Um, I think France, I think was the right one to kind of, stop you know ransomware payments we'll see how that theory pans out i think it was a good move i don't know if it's a long-term effective one it could be it could not be i think we'll see how that works out for france but there's a lot of work to still be done within the carriers and the mgas mgus and brokers to make a more impactful more meaningful cyber policy that consumers can rely on. Thank you, Brian. And Dutch, I want to ask you a similar question, but maybe zeroing in down at sure. the 
let's say small business level, you know, uh, something which um, Brian, I, I know you see this as well with the, some of the uh, SMBs, but um, so many small businesses will say to us, oh, we have cyber insurance. We don't need to uh, uh, worry about having you know, antivirus or you know, cyber VCs. Uh, so we don't need your help. We have cyber insurance. H- how do we help executives and business owners move beyond seeing cyber insurance as a silver bullet? Because m- many of them still do see it as that monopoly get out of jail card. Um, what's the right narrative to help them move beyond that? Yeah, I think, you know, the thread, if I could pull on it from Brian's commentary, that I'll, here's the part I'll pull out, right? The, the industry is still nascent, and that means the cybersecurity industry is even more newish. And it's, it's, from my perspective as an observer, really hard to prove due care, right? That principle is the bedrock of insurance claims kind of as a generality, right? So if there's no sort of set of standards that says, well, what is exactly is due care? Uh, then it's really uh, hard and easy, depending on if you're the person who is potentially damaged or the insurance carrier to, to argue that either direction. So until you get a lot more, frankly, a lot more maturity around how we think of what are the bedrock principles that, that every everyone should do, I think it's really, it feels like you've transferred the risk. I think it, you should really look at how often have the, the insurance companies paid out and I think it's just a challenging topic right now because there's just we lack maturity around that. Yeah, for sure. I would say sure. I would say we're we're lacking a national standard, and insurance is actually in a really really good position to help make that a reality. You know, you don't see seatbelts in cars until the claims went through the roofs for auto accidents. It it moved the industry. Why can't we do the same thing now? Why can't insurance start lobbying? And I think maybe this is the beginning of that with enough companies walking away from wanting to pay ransom or putting in enough exceptions or changing their policies that make it almost near impossible to financially get an insurance policy for your company. That's gonna change now. Well, the requirements are this. If you meet those, we can insure you. Great. Now that means that that insurance policy should be more attainable, should be more financially feasible. So I, we need to replicate, unfortunately, what happened with the auto industry, what happened with the commercial building industry in the things that went wrong that then forced insurance to then help lobby for regulation. And the U.S. still lacks a national standard. It, but it was a specific court case. State Farm Insurance sued the federal government over seatbelts. That's what happened. And it went to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court said, you're right, we are not enforcing the law. So I want to be clear, like, so to your point, insurance companies can do a lot of good. We need their expertise, the ability to assess what it should or shouldn't be in terms of the the risk posture and the the payout. But you're right. But that is what happened, right? It wasn't because people decided that seatbelts were safe. If you interview people, they would say, oh, absolutely, seatbelts make you safe. It wasn't until they sued the federal government and it went to the Supreme Court mm. that they finally put some teeth behind that law. That's we're back to that's human behavior. That's a pragmatic, realistic viewpoint based on history. That's what you need to do so that we would understand, well, what is due care? How do we measure this? What's the appropriate amount of insurance versus this risk? And we don't have those answers. They have the data to help us. The insurance companies have a big role to play in this. We just need more emphasis on I'm getting something to this pragmatic and usable. Do you foresee so like, a need for uh, 
greater consumer advocacy. I mean, sticking with the automobile uh, comparison, and I do think it's uh, it's a good analogy. I mean, I mean, Ralph Nader led a lot of the consumer advocacy around it that led to a lot of the regulatory um, uh, improvements and, and requirements that, that were stated. Um, is something similar going to be needed uh, uh, from, from this perspective? Because you know, there hasn't been really great consumer advocacy per se to, to date around that. I think it's going to be a combination of either consumer advocacy, people and society themselves, and or the companies just kind of rising up and pushing and lobbying their representatives, the government as a whole, the agencies that they're working with, that some type of regulation and controls need to be put into place. Uh, NERC SIP exists and was put in place around electrical. Why isn't that same type of capability brought across the aisle to, uh, you know, to pipelines? It's, it's critical infrastructure. DHS has de deemed 16 areas critical infrastructure, yet only two or three of them finance uh, anybody underneath electrical and um, nuclear, if I'm saying that right, um, follow uh, a regulation. What about the other 13? Like, so I, I think you're going to see people just get fed up. Um, you know, we just had the JP, uh, JPS or JPB, the, the meatpacking meat group JPS. just get ransomware. You know, um, I joked with my wife last uh, uh, earlier uh, this week, you know, Coors, uh, you know, suffered or Molson suffered uh, an event last year and we didn't really hear about it. But the second you start, you know, messing with, you know, consumer consumables that society either loves or needs gas, alcohol, food, you, you're going to see a societal change and a start to push to people to go, wait, something is not right. Why are we not doing the right things here? And hopefully that is the catalyst. The The flip side is people just lay back and be like, oh, well, it just happened to that one. I'm not worried about it or I don't buy that product or whatever. So it's unfortunately going to see a need of enough people being negatively impacted to make this a change. Really good point. Do you guys foresee us being we're firmly in a ransomware you know, news cycle where it is it's just dominating headlines? Are, are we in this? type of new cycle from a ransomware perspective for the next year, two years, five years, where do you see this playing out or panning out? I should say, we all start off with Dutch. Yeah. I don't have a crisp answer on that because I think those are the, 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 the big questions that are, how can we do better? Right. So just sort of look at the part, the span of control that we have, like, are there things that we can do better? Arguably the tools, are there today, or many of the tools are there today. Uh, again, I'm not in the business of sort of deconstructing every single one of those, but in most cases, as far as we can tell, their reasonable control measures would have at least mitigated greatly, right? The impact. So those exist. So to Brian's point, it's it's a it's a question of will. <laughs> like, are we going to do something different, right? And often that requires, to your to your point, Dom either uh, a passionate group of folks who, you know, who raise awareness and then things happen. It requires a sort of a, a paradigm change. In other words, the generation comes coming up is more tuned to this and they're like, hey, we just got to fix this. What's going on? Why didn't you guys fix that before? Or there's some kind of regulatory, legal sort of, you know, in government in the best sense of the word who can, who can force a change. Those to me are the kind of the three, three of the factors that, that play into that. But I don't know what the crystal ball is, you know, but the tools are there today to really yeah. take this down to a, a reasonable level. So it's not about that. We, we know how to, again, not stop it, but we know how to mitigate it pretty significantly. I think the new cycle piece is just that. It's just a new cycle. You know, we had a slew of, of hospitals 
hit last year with ransomware. And then we, we haven't really heard anything that lately. I think right now what we're seeing is coincidental, um, you know, targeting or, or opportunistic targeting, right? It's just a number of big names that have had some type of real reach into society have all just kind of happened recently. I mean, nobody in the US is talking about that Ireland's entire healthcare system is down. Like that's a massive thing. Like an entire country yeah. is literally just, and they basically just said, yeah, we're not paying the ransom. So we're gonna figure out another yeah. way. But no one in the US is talking about that. So for us, what's big for us, food, gas, you know, like this is a big thing for Americans, right? Like, okay, that's meaningful to us. It's going to get views. It's going to, you know, move, move the, move the needle on the, on the, on ads and the news cycle, you know, give this another like month. We'll, we'll be back to something else. Plus, you know, I think everyone's coming out of COVID in to some degree. So people are just kind of tired of talking about that. So this is the next thing to latch on to. So I, I don't give a lot of credence to like the news cycle. I definitely pay attention to the news because it's in, you know informative of like, well, where are targets happening? Who is being impacted more and more so what were they not doing that led to this? I really like digging into right. that. Like the colonial ones really, really interesting. If you dig into the leadership structure and even like who's in there, what they've been doing and the type of technologies that they have, um, I'm about to do another uh, little uh, investigative. There was a um, Unum uh, First is an insurance company that was just fined $1.8 million um, for uh, uh, falsely certifying that they met New York State's Department of Financial Services requirements from 2017. They certified in 2018 that they had full, fully rolled out MFA. They had then become susceptible, uh, uh, victim of a phishing, two phishing campaigns that were traced back to lack of MFA. It's interesting to see the CISO that was in place. And when the announcement came out from DFS that um, this was happening, she suddenly retired. So like when you start looking into and peeling back kind of like the structure of that team, what were the decisions that were made? What led up to that? And it's like, oh, wow, this person is now retired and falsely stated to a state government and certified to a state regulation. It's like, oh, man, this person was a CISO. That's that's got me interested. So like that type of news is interesting because you can figure out and learn from other people's mistakes. But I think everything else is just the hype train. Uh, I, I love that investigative reporting there, Brian. That's uh, that, that, that's awesome stuff. And uh, um, like Christian mentioned at the beginning, you know, we, next time we do this, I think we're going to have to have a 45-minute uh, power episode or something where we allocate more time for the conversation. But generally appreciative of you two gents taking time to join Christian, myself, and uh, CyberPig on the show today. Very appreciative of your time. <laughs> we'll, do this, Thanks, we'll do this again soon. We'll do this again soon, Thanks, gents. Steph. Appreciate it. That was an enjoyable episode. That was, uh, I honestly had so much fun there, uh, as did uh, CyberPig. It's been a while since he uh, made an appearance. And for those of you who may not get that inside joke, please do check out uh, Brian Hoagley's uh, podcast. All will make sense uh, when you look at the previous InfoSec Rat Pack uh, episode. Uh, but Christian, what was one of your key uh, highlights or takeaways from today's episode? Well, first of all, you keep startling me with that pig, and it's just not what's on my mind right now. So it kind of freaks me out. So just let me know in advance next time when you're going to do that. Give, give me some warning. I'll give you some warning. <laughs> I would say, you know, uh, for what Dutch explained uh, about that, it's hard to prove 
due care? How do you show evidence that you're taking due care when there's a lack of, you know, a national standard uh, in America? Um, I can I can see that being a a, a big deal. Um, the the other thing uh, that stands out to me, uh, Brian was talking about insurance companies. He said many things which really uh, resonated, um, but the idea that they're being targeted by cyber criminals who are straight away looking at their client lists and seeing who has what coverages, who has that ransomware uh, payout uh, coverage, um, like the kidnap and ransom coverage, or if it's under their cyber policy. So. Yeah. Very interesting, very sophisticated, but actually makes complete sense if you really think about it. Yeah, totally. And, and you know, um, for me, you know, I just, I just want to reiterate that uh, uh, for our viewers and listeners, if they're not uh, following Brian and Dutch, uh, mainly on LinkedIn, do check out their profiles and follow their content. They have amazing, amazing uh, thoughts and daily thoughts and wisdoms that they share. There's uh, far too many good gems for me to, to reduce that to. I was just, uh, like I said, uh, I enjoyed immensely having a crossover episode. It's not often we get to uh, have a, a, such an opportunity. So that was a lot of fun for me. That was, that was my key takeaway. But uh, I'm very hopeful that our loyal listeners and viewers enjoyed today's episode. Um, And as always, please do uh, check out previous Cybersecurity Matters podcasts on our YouTube page and on your uh, and or uh, listening to them on your preferred podcasting platform. Uh, But until next time, be well, be safe, and we look forward to entertaining you yet again on the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. 